Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Christmas episode of Note to Scene, a music news podcast covering everything from pop punk to metalcore. I'm Matt Crane. I'm Tyler Sharp. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, where you should please rate and review us. Email us at notescene at gmail.com. This week, we are doing something special. 2017 was a terrible year for music. And in honor of that, we will be counting down the worst seen albums of the year. These are all the bands that deserve coal in their stockings. Happy holidays, everyone. Let's go. Merry Christmas, Tyler Sharp. Merry Christmas, Matt. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm doing good. It's the holiday season. I'm chilling with some eggnog. How about you? Dude, I don't know how you eat that shit, man. That's the fucking <laughs> worst. Got some hot of chocolate course. by me, wearing a Santa hat. I'm ready, man. There you I love go, the man. holidays. I got, I I got the, the candy cane scarf wrapped around my neck. <laughs> nice. There we go. Nice. True note to scene uh, Christmas. Absolutely. But so, all right, I got to ask you, what's going on with my man, Burt McCracken, in this used interview with the gun show? Like, I, did my man just fire a shot across the bow of MCR? Like, what's going on here? I think he's... Explain this. I think he's throwing some shade at Gerard Way, man. So the guns asked him a question. Shout, about, shouts to the guns. Good uh, guy. Right. Always been around. Always hustling. Ask Bert a question. What do you think you'll see first? Donald Trump get impeached or a My Chemical Romance reunion? And Bert responded with, there's only one of those I would like to see happen. And I think there is some mad shade being thrown there at 2017. He looks at the camera. Like, he looks at the camera like he gives it like a... Like a pretty handsome, awkward look. You know what I mean? Like, it's just devilish in his face. Like, Bert, what are you doing, man? Like, are you crazy? Like, Right? It's, it's the holidays, fun. man. Yeah, and he, he just, like, this is a wound he just tore open, you know, this MCR used rift that hasn't even been addressed in, like, I don't know, 15 years. Right? And, uh, it's been at least a decade. It's funny. It's like, is that what the used have left? It's almost like, would that be a smart career choice for them now to start beefing with mcr again beefing with a band that's broken up you know like what are you doing fam i have no idea man i think they're this is like a last ditch effort at this point (laughs) i just could the smile i saw on bert's face when he said that like he just man it's just the first time we've heard him attack you know mcr and and gerard in a long 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 time like we thought that was long buried and he has not forgotten. Right. Shouts to our boy Jeremy for the tip on this one. I would have never caught this, but he asked uh, me if I saw it, and I was like, no, dude, send that shit, man. <laughs> so If it's GA related, Jeremy's not going to miss it. Right. But, um, all right. Let's 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 get into our listener questions for this week. Um, our first question comes in from longtime listener Aaron L., who writes into notescene at gmail.com. Aaron asks, what's your favorite scene Christmas song? So for me, it's tough to narrow it down because I like a lot of them. Um, Blink-182, I Won't Be Home for Christmas, is one I've always loved. Sonically, my favorite is probably Fall Out Boy, You'll Shoot Ooh, Your Eyes Out. That's a classic. Um, yeah, it's just so good. Um, you kind of got to acknowledge Jimmy World's Last Christmas. It's kind of considered a sure. classic at this time as a cover. And uh, so I give that one acknowledgement. I really love The Killers, Joel, The Lump of Coal. Um, I'm a big fan of that one. Gotta give shouts, shouts to the boy Andrew, SoCo, Forget December. Like, I gotta give those shouts. 
Nice. Um, and, of, and of course, like MCR doing All I Want for Christmas and the used alone this holiday are just they're just classics at this point as far as seeing Christmas songs go. And they they kind of uh, have to be acknowledged in that way and revered. But for me, my favorite seeing Christmas song is not a Christmas song at all. It's actually just My Chemical Romance's Welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> to me, that is a Christmas song. I don't know what it is. I just oh my God. have so many memories of that song coming on during Christmas Driving in the car through snow and Christmas lights with my friends, us just blaring that song. I have a specific memory that of me and my so friend. Funny. Yeah, me and my friend, she had like, I don't know, recently got her permit or something. And we were driving in like her dad's SUV. And she was driving and uh, we were driving to like this little downtown area where everyone was shopping. And, you know, it's freezing cold. It's snow. It's Christmas. And she just, we put all the windows down and just blasted that song at full blast just to piss everyone off and drove down the street just like laughing and loving it. So now it's like every now and then when that song comes on, like in the winter on radio rotation, which is rare, but like it still does. I just crank it every time. And it, it just it gives me fond memories of Christmas. How about you, T-Sharp? What is your favorite scene Christmas song? That's so funny. My So I'm a little bit more off the scene reservoir than you are. But in, in true tooth and nail and solid state fashion, my one of my favorites, I would absolutely put my top five, would be I Celebrate the Day, which is off Reliant K's Christmas album, Let It Snow, Baby, Let It Reindeer. I've just always I bought this album when I was in middle school and it's just a seasonal mainstay for me every single year. I've been year. seeing a lot of Reliant K Christmas on Spotify Dude, all over the place. This album is if you we'll listen back. if you listen to this album when it came out in 2007, it's a classic for you. And this song is total like drive-through emo. It's it's so good <laughs> with a little bit of like yeah. piano rock in it, but it's an absolute emo <laughs> song. I love it. Um, another random one would be uh, Christmas at 22 by the Wonder Years. Thematically, it's just soupy talking about how all his friends are home from college and it's Christmas Eve and just spending this time with your friends and people you love and throwing a cold uh, frozen pizza in and watching Christmas classics and driving all your drunken ho- friends home. That is Soupy's role is to capture those moments of your life and put them into musical context. And that, that is just what the guy does. That song just does it perfect for me. So yeah, Wonder Years and Reliant K for me. I went off the, off the reservoir a bit, but great question. I love talking nice. about this shit. Yeah. Our next question comes in from listener Anthony D. Uh, Anthony says, so guys, with the year 2017 coming to a close, which without a doubt has been a rough year for this scene, what was your album of the year and your single of the year? So uh, Tyler and I, we don't do this a lot as far as recommendations <laughs> go. Like we, we analyze and we critique things and we sort of give our overall thoughts, but we don't often like say this is our favorite you should listen to this or you know what I mean? So this is kind of a chance for us to say like, this is our favorite album and this is our favorite song. So I'm going to do that now. Um, My favorite single of the year was SGL by the band. Now, now, if you haven't heard them, it's a kind of like an emo meets indie rock thing with a girl with one of the most gorgeous voices I've ever heard. Um, it's such an amazing song. It, go listen to this song right now. It's my song of the year. 
My album of the year is Lord Melodrama. Um, no surprise to longtime listeners, I am a huge Lord <laughs> fan, and um, this is just my favorite album of the year. I think it's fucking beautiful, and you should go listen to it. You are doing yourself a disservice if you do not. How about you, T-Sharp? Single of the year and album of the year. So my single of the year is The Bright Side by Lil Peep. You know, oh. if, if you were listening to this song when it came, if you were listening to the show when this song came out, you know how much I loved it. <sighs> Matt loved yeah. it. This song was going to change everything. I man. am pouring out my Coke Zero right now, man. <laughs> dude. Pouring dude, it out. It was going to change everything. And like, if you go back and watch live videos of him performing this song, there's one in particular where it's the very end of the first verse and it's right before the chorus drops. And when that chorus drops, he doesn't even have to say anything. The audience is just screaming it back and you can barely hear the music. It sounds like he's leading a fucking revolution when he'd play this song live. And sonically, it's just, it, it was the future and mm-hmm. just taken from us too soon. So Interesting you chose that over... Uh, over um, awful, shit, awful things. Awful things, yeah. yeah. Interesting that you chose because I thought that was your favorite one. Yeah, it was It was definitely a tough one. It was a toss-up between yeah. those two. But Brightside, I, me and my buddy drove around all night recently. We're both on Christmas break right now, and we just listened to Lil Peep songs. And in that moment, it hit me that Brightside was a better song than Awful Things. Very, but I still love very both. Very special song. Yeah, special definitely. Song. Al- album, Tyler? Album, for me, is one that I've never been able to talk about on the show this year, and I'm so glad I have the opportunity to. Um, it's by a band called Suffer, and the album's called Suffer. Suffer is a low-key super group with members of I the Mighty, A Lot Like Birds, and Hail the Sun. And this album, if you loved anything about 2004 to 2006, as far as like the emo post-hardcore movement, you will love this album. It is everything that was so great about the aggression, the emotion, the the production value of that music. It's dark as hell. And if if you liked anything from Under Oath to Emery to any tooth and nail band, pretty much, you, you'll love this album. It, I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to take a look back at uh, Screamo's Mainstream Peak. It's a great album, and I definitely recommend De- it. Definitely a fresh sound. Um, we thank Anthony and Aaron for writing into gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, feel free to send them that way. And sorry to everyone who sent a question that wasn't answered in mm-hmm. 2017. We'll, we will be doing our best to knock those out in 2018. Um, might have to do an all-listener question mailbag episode Dude, at some point. I think so, man. That might be a fun idea. Um, all right. A couple quick news items to hit before we get going with the show. So Pierce the Veil announced that uh, drummer Mike Fuentes is taking a break and uh, stepping away from the band. Um, this is following all of the allegations that have been swirling around him on the internet that um, we've been dealing with. And it's kind of interesting because Pierce had kind of uh, gone into sort of like lockdown hibernation mode, and we hadn't heard from them from for a long time. It seemed like they were just going to kind of wait this out. And and then the Melmar thing blew up, mm-hmm. and it was like everybody just forgot about Pierce. And, and now now here they are back with uh you know this this big statement from mike yeah it really looked like they were going to pull a story so far you know the story so far Mm -hmm. after parker kicked that girl off the stage and the entire 
world revolted against his actions, which rightfully so, <laughs> but they just didn't say anything for three weeks. And then they played Warp Tour and were direct support for Good Charlotte in the fall. And now everyone forgot about it. Like that didn't even happen as far as history is concerned. But here we are. Pierce the Veil dropped a statement. And without getting too much into it, because I just don't, I hate talking about this. And I just don't, it, it's a hard thing. You don't thing. want to get me sued. It's Matt a, doesn't right. like getting, Matt's been threatened to be sued by musicians and right. he does not like it. It's a hard thing to talk about, but at the same rate, I think it's important to acknowledge news on the show, like I've said before, because I think some of our listeners actually do use it as a news source. So for the time being, Mike Fuentes is, quote, taking a break from Pierce the Veil. Uh, What that means, we don't know. Pierce the Veil canceled their UK tour with All Time Low. This band will be back, and from the sound of it, Mike Fuentes will be back in this band at some point down the line. Yeah. And here's my thing. We may not know, but I think I know. Like, um, I know this band and I know their management and uh, their manager is like their mother. Mm -hmm. She's never going to turn her back on Mike ever. Mm -hmm. And um, I knowing what I know of this band, I don't think it was ever even a question of Mike being kicked out of the band. Notice he's taking a break. He's stepping away. He's not out of the band. I imagine in their camp, it was never even a question of him leaving. I think their their manager is going to protect him. And even if it was a question of him leaving, Vic, his brother, would not go for it. <laughs> Knowing what I know of that, those brothers in that band, it, if it would have come down to that, it would have came down to Vic being like, okay, I'm out too. Have fun without your front man. You know what I mean? So I just, I think that's kind of the political landscape Pierce are in at the moment. And, you know, I'm not taking sides on anything or agreeing on anything i'm just sort of trying to outline what i believe is their state you're right they're they're brothers brotherhood bond between those two it's just not going to be broken and and vic's gonna stand by him and i don't even think it got that far i think you know i think the plan here is clearly protect mike that's what the band are doing and you whether you think that's right or wrong we're not commenting on that i'm not saying my opinion on that i'm just saying what i see in the optics of the situation. For sure. I mean, if you go out and read this statement, media outlets should have ran the headline as like, Pierce the Veil don't actually do anything about sexual right. assault allegations. No- <laughs> Nothing changes whatsoever. Okay, right. but um, let's move on to our, our only other news story this week. Um, much, much feel, a much feel better story. Yeah, so uh, Panic, Panic the Disco released a Christmas song, Feels Like Christmas, Tyler. And uh, I got to say, dude, hell yeah. Like, right. Brendan Urie. Right. This is my guy. Yeah. That voice. Like, holiday cheer, dude. Like, this is how it's done. Just like, I don't even care how much I like the song. It's just great to hear fucking <laughs> Brendan's voice during the holidays. Just fucking Brendan Uring it up. Like, this song makes me want to, like, get drunk and fall into the Christmas tree and knock over a bunch of ornaments. You know what I mean? It's right. just fun. You know? Right. It's a total, it's, it's, it's a classic new wave panic song. It's got your jukeboxy vibes, but then it's got Brendan's, like, new wave sheen over it. It's just, it's classic Dog, panic in a Christmas Dog's got, lens. like, a holiday voice. Like, he totally. could do a cover of, like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. You know what I mean? <laughs> he could totally do that. Like Totally, totally. Dude, do you remember when uh, we were both at AP and Fallout Boy dropped the, the Brendan Urie's Drunk History of Fallout Boy video on Christmas yep. Day? And you sent classic it to me, Christmas. and I ran it on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
the good old days. Getting those clicks on Christmas Day. The Love good old it. days. Um, definitely way better than uh, Sleeping with Sirens' uh, Christmas on the Road Christmas song. They released a uh, Christmas song. Says Remember every Christmas listener. on the Road? Yeah. Says, listen, yeah. says every. We talked ever. about it on this show. Oh, listeners. I know, but no one is going to remember that song. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's just like the only other one I can think of that a prominent band did this year. And uh, I would say Panic washed them. Oh, it's not even close. Shout out to Warner uh, Brothers. Um, okay. All right. So let's get into the main topic here. And um, I want to start by saying, look, like, we didn't want to do this. Like, <laughs> Tyler and I, in a perfect world, we want to be here with you ranking the the 10 best scene albums of the year. But it's just, you know, we got together and we talked. We just couldn't do it. There just weren't enough or any good albums of a prominent nature to put together into a good list that you know our listeners would give a shit about like all all of tyler's best albums you just you wouldn't care about because you never heard of them all of my best albums are pop albums you know you wouldn't give a shit about them and all, all so there was just so much bad stuff that came out in this scene this year and um so that's why that's why we're doing this because we have to you know i hope i hope in 2018 instead of highlighting you know the worst scene albums. I hope we can highlight the best. We'll just see what 2018 has to bring to us. 2018 but, um, is the scenes. I mean, the, the scenes last rem- stand, man. Yeah, a day to remember. You know, bring me. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the horizon. Panic. And, um, 21 pilots. Yeah. I hope we can be doing a best of, but 2017 was an undeniably shitty year for scene music. So um, we count, we're going to count down the five worst scene albums. Before we do that, though, Tyler, I kind of want to talk about just some of our disappointments this year. Like, the, you know, these aren't bad albums, right? These are just albums that I think we were let down by. Um, you can kind of start with uh, Paris. Would you agree Paris was a disappointment this year? I really tried to like that album. And in hindsight, revisiting that album at the end of the year, I can't. I cannot like it. Those (laughs) songs are just bad. Where are the choruses, man? Where are those white noise moments? They're just gone into this this gritty, grungy void that that Pitchfork just gets off on. It's it's so sad. It's sad. Yeah, coming from probably the most promising band of the year, too. Like, this was supposed to be their year and their moment. And what do we end up with? 10,000 copies first week. Forgettable album. You know why they sold 10,000 copies first week? Because, like you said, it wasn't anything near the caliber of White Noise. You know, they're doing this tribal freaking jungle cave goth rock indie rock thing. And I was just like (laughs) listening to anyone else today. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? Like, what are you what are you doing? But. I gotta say, it's not a bad album. It, you know, as a rock album from an anonymous band, I think it's okay. Like, it's a decent. Like, I like Nola and I like, you know, Heaven and I like some other songs. It's a good. It's it's a competent record. You know, it was just disappointing. It's not. You know, we wanted Paris to put out the best record of the year. Frankly, like it's, I think this should have been the band to do it. And um, the disappointment was heavy. It's a 10K first week album. That's what it is. They did exactly what they should have done with this type of music. And I think as we get through this episode, I think it's quite obvious it's time to stop backing Blake Harnage as a songwriter. (laughs) Yeah, and where we, you know, had Paris release not White Noise Part 2 conceptually, but White Noise Part 2 successfully as of, like, you know, just capturing that kind of energy, we'd have seen, like, a 27,000 copies. Absolutely, over 25. But they didn't do that yet. You know what I mean? Uh, what's what's one for you that was a disappointment, Tyler? One for me was definitely 
turnover. And I know it's in the indie world, but that band was having such a moment after Peripheral Vision. And we didn't really ever talk about this band on the show at all. Um, but that last album just gave them so much hype. And it was it was it was emo. It wasn't just indie. It had a mm-hmm. scene emo vibe to it. And they fucking blew it on this new album. It's it's a total pile of dog shit. I was so disappointed by it, and everyone was. I mean, I think it did like 7,800 first week, but and that was only because of the hype off right. of Peripheral Vision, and it was just, it very was just a major good disappointment. Very first week for a band like that. And yeah, I gotta say, you know, just very, how fast they became the it band was just sort of fascinating to see, you know, based off that first album. They, was just, they went from, you know, opening for no one, for a no one band, to just being like the it band of the moment. You know, they kind of followed like, like uh there was citizen title fight um yeah they all right i'm just gonna start yeah they fought they followed like title fight and citizen and hotelier and all those bands they followed them into the itness of the emo revival you know what i mean and they were just like the it band but um didn't work out for them like you said so uh, another one that was disappointing for me was uh neck deep and um this is an interesting one i gotta ask like are we wrong tyler because i think we're both disappointed by this but you know the album sold 30,000 copies first week, and um, I, I don't know that we're right. Like, are we on the wrong side of history here? But, like, I was definitely disappointed by this record. I think the general consensus was that it was disappointing and it didn't live up to the hype of a post Life's Not Out to Get You world. Remember, yeah. it did 29,000 first week because they had pre orders at their merch table on Warp Tour all summer long. And there was only two songs out at that point. And the people were I mean, just and... blindly supporting this band because they released a fantastic album beforehand. Yeah. And they had they had hype from the first album, and they had a unique opportunity on Warp Tour to sort of be the biggest band, you know, which is a weird thing, like why they got to do that. Oof. But, um,. That's a whole other conversation. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just a basic pop punk album. You know, I don't hate it. I, li- I can enjoy it. There's certainly to tolerable some level. songs. You know, we talked about them a, on the show. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's like a six and a half out of ten. It's just sure. there's nothing special there. There's no magic. Um, yeah. Paramore. We got to talk about Paramore. Where are you at with Paramore, Tyler? Still a huge disappointment for me and i really we were so excited about this band we we literally when that first single dropped we named the episode the paramore party starts now and if you go back and look at our episodes after that it was like the paramore album just flopped (laughs) like two episodes (laughs) later because there was like a month lead up but it was so sad man I still don't yeah, like man. Hard Times. I, I think Fake Happy is a terrible fucking song. They blew it here. They had an opportunity to be a massive pop band, and instead they wanted to be pitchfork fodder, and now, sure, they'll play Lollapalooza every year, but people are going to start forgetting about this band unless they do an about turn and ditch this. But from yeah. what I've heard behind the scenes, that's not going to happen. No, not going to happen. Yeah, I have a very complicated relationship with this album because... um. First off, Hard Times is one of my songs of the year. You know, I in, I loved That's that so song. Crazy. I was so hyped. And uh, the album that followed just did not live up to that for me. Um, and I don't hate the album again. I like I if this came from some other cool, you know, female fronted indie rock band, I think I would like like it more. But it's the fact that I, I got it from Paramore that was so disappointing. Like there are songs like Rose Colored Boy, Caught in the Middle, Hard Times forgiveness idol worship like i i like those songs and this is an okay album and i like it it's just 
it's such a massive disappointment coming down from where we were with Paramore to where they are now. And now we see them playing small theaters. You know, they they, they sold only like, what, 56,000 copies first week. You know, no they're not going to win Grammys. No, no radio, radio it's hype. Just, just watching a band dismantle their apparatus was so tragic that this album is just a big disappointment for me. Um, and knowing any others that, for you, Tyler? And knowing that it was 100% intentional, just like, that's a stab to the heart, and now they're just twisting the knife. But um, another disappointment for me was Motionless and White. There, I know we have listeners that like this album. It just wasn't what it needed to be. And Roadrunner, it's it's just not getting the hype that it should have. It did 18,000 first week, coming down from what, like the 32,000 the album before that did. And mm-hmm. their the sales singles, were basically cut in half. Right. The singles didn't stick. We thought maybe Loud could get some momentum. And it got up to like 20 on rock radio. But yeah. it, it, there's just, it's so disappointing to see this band jump from Fearless Records to Roadrunner Records and be cut in half momentum wise. Yeah. That, that's and for those not who don't what's know, supposed Roadrunner to happen. Records is a major label it's part of uh warner music group so the right. band had a much bigger injection of cash and resources into them and they they in theory should have succeeded but they somehow sold half of what their last record did um yeah this is to me this is the album that just it just wipes them off the fucking map like they were this no big thing and now they're them. gone no one's talking about them and you know loud was cool we thought it could maybe do something at rock radio but it didn't and the thing was they didn't have any other rock radio singles on the album to to follow up loud you know in case loud failed you just had a bunch of this kind of just middle of the road dark manson inspired metalcore that just was you know and they did kind of a cool thing with eternally yours you got like some like late stage mm-hmm. in flames there it just but there just wasn't enough and it's like you know they've got necessary evil on there the total melmar rip which like what the fuck what the <laughs> fuck is even up with that why are you doing that you know like i get that it's a you know it's not melmar's song but like you know, she didn't have success with it. it. Her it's hit. Like, oh, now, yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like now we're gonna do it too a year later. Like, come on. It just you know the album. It's a and it's not a terrible album. Again, like it's something I could listen to in the car, but um, it just kind of blurs together. Totally. Know? And necessary evil. They sent it to rock radio. It can't get above number thirty. Yeah. And it's got the bro yeah, that, from corn on it. Like that should right. be. You know, if you put that kind of effort into a song, it should be moving. It should get momentum. But the song sucks, you know? You That's know, the problem. Are, yeah. And they already heard the fucking chorus on the Melmar song. So it's like, <laughs> all right. So this is uh, a big disappointment for me. But this is kind of interesting because this is our first time being to talk about this album on the show. Um, so this is kind of like our mini review here. Um, Asking Alexandria, uh, self-titled The Return of Danny Warsnop, was a big disappointment for me, Tyler Sharp. How about you? It definitely didn't live up to the hype, and that's the issue that I have with it. I think that there are absolutely redeemable moments on this album and moments that I can come back to and thoroughly enjoy, such as Under Denver and Eve in Room 138. But overall, these songs are kind of just as bad as what we got on From Death to Destiny. There's a lot of moments that are just 
not asking Alexandria Caliber, the, the the shit that we were used to on Stand uh, Reckless and Relentless when they were when that band was kind of peaking on uh, towards the middle and end of that cycle. We know that they're good songwriters, but I think these songs come down to the fact that when you compare it to The Black, The Black was a metalcore album with rock tendencies, and this album is a rock album with metalcore tendencies, and the formula doesn't work. For whatever reason, Matt Good's production is just shit. I can't think of a better word to describe it, but there's a sheen over this album that makes these songs sound inherently bad, and I kind of blame it on him because I don't... Some of these songs are just so simple, it's hard to fuck it up, but they managed to do it, so... I'm right there with you as far as it kind of gets locked into From Death to Destiny for me. Um, Like, I would just say, like, don't go buy this album. Like, seriously, (laughs) like, the, the first two singles, that was enough. That's all you needed. Like, I just, like considering this was the moment that Danny was returning, right. like they really had to deliver and it had to be awesome. And you even saw me, I was hyped from the first single, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like if they're, if you're going to do that radio rock thing, if you're going to go do five finger death punch, like you got to go do it and you got to go all in. Or, you know, if you're going to come back and be having ass heavy asking Alexandria, you got to do it. You know what I mean? You got to get heavy. You got to get electronic. You got to do it. Instead, we end up in this weird middle ground of rock and metalcore, soft metalcore or hard rock. Which one is it? We don't know. Mm. Danny's just kind of all over the place vocally. And like you said, the production, it's hard for me to say because you know Matt Good is my guy, ride <laughs> or die, but I, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the mixing. I don't know. Uh-huh. It's just things don't sound right. Um, this one for me is like, like just right outside of our worst scene albums of the year. Like this one, I, I it could have been in there for me, but ultimately it's not because you know it, we had some real fucking shitters this year that helped <laughs> keep it out of there. But um, sure, I'm so disappointed. Like for me, I'll 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 take the black any day over this version of Asking Alexandria. Oof. There's just there's just there's nothing new here for me or nothing exciting for me. Um, See if I gotta rank my asking out. Ask Alexandria albums, it would be Reckless and Relentless, Stand Up and Scream, Self Titled, The Black, then From Death to Destiny. I would have to go Stand Up and Scream, Reckless and Relentless, Ooh. The Black, and then uh, Tie for the Shitty. Fair enough. Like, I will Fair not enough. listen to this one again. You know, I'll listen to the single. At least I'll listen to the single from this. I won't even listen to the single from Death to Destiny, any of the singles. That whole album is a, is a write-off for it's me. Pretty, so. It's pretty rough. I'm surprised you put Stand Up and Scream over Reckless and Relentless. Reckless you know, is man, we did the, such a peak, uh, man. It's a it's a perfect album i agree but we went on those like those the those, dives. Uh, those yeah. nostalgia dives lately and it's i've just been listening to yeah, it a lot you more. got a nostalgia so bias right now that's one that will shift you know what i mean it's at sure. moments yeah but it, at, at the current moment i'm just all about that sound and nice. i wish we could, go, we could go back in time to that because wow what a fun time okay um here we go the five worst seen <laughs> albums of 2017 so number five knuckle puck shapeshifter this band man they just got bodied by all the other pop punk bands this year like this is to me i think this is the the worst pop punk album of the year i think it's easy to say it you know 
this was a this was a disaster and this <laughs> is when they really needed to deliver you know they for whatever reason they actually had hype off copacetic and a lot of people still seem to love that album but they failed hard here and for a lot of different reasons but mostly the fact that these songs aren't songs and they're just <laughs> horribly written just horribly written and i cannot believe that Rise agreed to put out this pile of shit. You know, Rise just has a really fucking bad track record with pop punk bands, you know, <sighs> like R.I.P. Uh, Polar Bear Club, R.I.P. Man Transit, R.I.P. Man Overboard. Who am I forgetting? You know, like R.I.P. Knuckle Puck eventually. Like Rise <laughs> just can't handle handle pop punk bands. Like don't go to Rise if you're a pop punk band. You know, and they did what? 9,000 copies first week. So there's no real sales growth there for the band, right? I think Copacetic did something similar, right? Like uh, yeah, eight to I think 9, it was 000. in the 8s. Yeah. And like you said, sonically, you know, just this this sounds like an album made by amateurs. To me, this, so- like, this, this sounds like a local band. This is your local um, pop punk band. Yeah. I know local bands that sound better than this, by the way. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? This band, they just don't deserve the opportunity that they're getting. They're just, they don't practice enough. They're not masters of their instruments enough. You know, the the opening track on this album just goes every which way. It just throws (laughs) you like, what? You know, you're just hit by this wall of sound. It's, It's messy. It's sloppy instrumentation. It really just sounds like they didn't put in the effort, and that's what that's what you know is just so hilarious to me about it. Like it, it, bad mixing, stiff vocals. What were they? What were they trying to do here, man? I just you know the name of that song says it all too. Nervous passenger, because that's what I feel like listening to this right. album. I'm like so like, nervous uh... of how bad this is gonna <laughs> yeah. be, man. Like, how what? you're like? On? Well, it's never gonna get as bad as that moment. Oh my god, they just did that. <laughs> that's what you feel when you're listening to this album. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know like th- remember when gone came out the lead single and yeah. we were both like this is a pile of shit but maybe maybe <laughs> you know maybe, maybe right? there's there's something here there's there's still can't be a worse whole than, album can't be worse than this <laughs> oh we were so wrong <laughs> we were like gone is probably you know when you think about it it's one of the more well-structured songs on this and album i um, just abhor that song man <laughs> so, d- double helix is like this example of like what it could have it's like a good idea of that song is a good idea conceptually but the execution of it is just fucking terrible. You know what I mean? It's like a local yeah. band covering a really good pop punk song. That song was supposed to be their No Good Part 2, and they just fucking yeah. blew it, man. They just fell the fuck apart on it. What you end up with, you know, is mostly just a wall of unpracticed and unrefound sound hitting you from every side, just hitting you, and there's just no real structure there. Terrible terrible album um the best moment to me is that song want me around which is just them ripping Ah. off the main ripping off third eye blind so it's like not even you can't even give them credit there and it it's like uh plastic brains i think which is the closing song i mean guys like what is going on there that is just no unbelievable how bad that song is like when we said it can't get worse like that was the one where I heard like, oh my god, they really did it! Like they found out a way to be the worst pop punk band in the world. It is crazy. It is crazy to think that this scrapes the barrel underneath 
up and coming pop punk bands like Grayscale and and Rome and stuff like that. We actually semi enjoyed music yeah, from dog, those before dog, this they got year. Body like shout shouts to Seaway, shouts to shouts Grayscale, to, shouts yep. to Rome. Like yep. all these other smaller pop pop punk dude, even knuckle even not knuckle puck, a neck deep. Like this right? album makes the neck deep album, which we were disappointed by, sound <laughs> like, like fucking enemy of, of the state. You know right, what I mean? Like right, yeah. Put like, that on my list, man. If you're gonna knuck, compare. Knuckle they got bodied it was bad and it was it was rough to watch it was it was it was rough to watch and now they're they're going on fucking headlining tours with no name indie bands like shouts to tiny moving parts i guess yeah congrats on credit for how they handled the uh the whole with con situation um so i mean i give them credit for that i mean they ended up canceling that whole tour (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they they Whatever. rebranded it and then they canceled it like a week later. Yeah. Um they just announced like, a other... spring tour or whatever, but they're they're headlining with these and... incredibly small bands. It makes me think that they just got turned down from bigger tours. Any other thoughts on Shapeshifter? Tyler Sharp? I don't think so. I think this band is on the nosedive. Okay, let's move on to number four. The used the canyon. So uh, this album opens on a very dramatic spoken word from Bert that really just sort of sets the stage for how self-serious we're going to go with this album. And that leads into the song For You, which I didn't realize until today is a complete rip of Jimmy World's You Were Good from their album Damage. Oh, shit. I'm talking like like note for note. Wow. So that's where we start. Weird spoken word and a Jimmy World rip. And uh, it's kind of all downhill from there, isn't it? This album is is almost unlistenable entirely, <laughs> entirely, with the exception of the lead single over and over again, which I, I understand shouts to their team for leading with that because right. it is the only redeemable moment. And only three minutes of that song is redeemable. The, the, the fucking two minute interlude that just should should not be in that song is is almost ruins that song. But Holy shit, Rise Up Lights. I I can't believe, you know, they it, I feel bad for the team because they had to release another single. And it's like, what the hell do you pick, man? And they picked that song. And in 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 a weird way, that is the only one they could pick. You know what I They're, mean? Yeah. Like what else do they have? I feel um, bad for it, man. So oh my god. And sort dude. of the narrative around the album is very disturbing to me because it's like this idea like if it's long it's long and it's emotional and it's stripped down and it's a journey. So it must be an epic masterpiece. No, like in reality, it's 17 fucking songs all bad. Like this is, you know, this might not be the worst album on our list of the year, but it's like the most bad stuff. You know what I mean? Like 17 it just keeps bad songs, just quantity of bad yeah like this could be a double lp you know and like you said over and over again is the only good song in this album and it doesn't belong on this album like no shouts to hopeless records for somehow getting that song on there because this is like this must be like a throwaway from the last album or something you know what i mean because it doesn't fit conceptually or sonically Sonically. on this album at all it's a good like dance gavin dance light jammy kind of thing that's like yeah. really fun catchy and you just know hopeless records were like look if we're going to distribute wow. this for you which is that that's the deal they have they distribute the used albums the used uh-huh. are independent even though they're not really independent 
um, if you didn't know that. You know the label was like, you got to give us a single. And that's how that's how we ended up here with... It's kind of like a fucking trick show that they led with it too, you know? Because like it just was like nothing like what we got from the album. I think it's time to protest Ross Robinson, who produced this album, <laughs> because Ross produced another album that is on our worst albums of 2017 list that we're going to talk about in a little bit. I don't understand how he okayed such piles of shit. These you know, it, these albums are, like I said, they're unlistenable. And it, it breaks my heart that these bands have fallen like this. And they push this as like this game-changing shit for their yeah, career. This how, fucking how can epic. you push this? Yeah. And, and we, um, we said before we heard anything besides over and over again that concept albums are bad. We have always said yeah. that. Anytime I, I work with a band, I'm like, please, God, don't do a concept album. It never works, ever. And this is case in point. And, and don't do 17 songs unless you're fucking Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't do a 17-song album. And um, what's what what drives me nuts about this album, or I just I find fucking hilarious, is you can tell what they were... You can tell what they thought they were doing, you know, with this album. They thought they were making this grand epic. Like, you hear Rise Up Lights, and it's like they're trying to, like, crescendo rock and roll history. Like, they think they're retelling the history of rock throughout this album and the album is so 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 ambitious and it just it collapses beautifully and implodes like a fucking dying star under the sheer ambition they went for you know like i'm convinced like if you listened to this album sped up it would kill you you know like if you condensed (laughs) it to 30 seconds it would kill you if you listened to it my best comparison i can have uh, that I've been able to come up with for this album is Tenacious D's scene album. Gone horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong. Oh my god, dude. I'm at a, I, I'm really at a loss for words, like I was the first time I heard this album front to back. First, I couldn't even get through it. I had to listen in, in two separate segments because I just couldn't. Yeah. I made it through nine songs, and I was like, nope, I, I gotta save this for another time. But, wow. Hard to it's talk really- about this album, man. Yeah, this was a tough one to get through. And, you know, there's a lot of emotional themes on it that you want to give Bert credit for. You know, he's talking about his friend who committed suicide and um, like his, I think it's pregnant girlfriend who died, maybe of an overdose. But like, it's all over the place. Then he he even decides to dive into some revolutionary politics, because why the fuck not? You know, like on this weird self-reflective used album. And, you know, the song, you know, Selfies in Aleppo. Like, oh, my God, you are so clever, Bert. Let's, like, exploit such a tragic event for an ironic song title. And it's just like, what? He Like, you know, he thinks this is his fucking deer hunter, you know, like, or he thinks this is a Doors album or it's like Coheed his big Clint, Yeah. Or it's like his big Clint Eastwood fucking Western of an album. You know what I mean? And it's just it's not. It was the it. this was the most spectacular just failure. It was <laughs> it was it was, was kind of glorious to watch. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad this album's over, man. <laughs> At least it got him to talk about Gerard Way. Is that the one yeah. saving grace we can have from the canyon? Well, interesting. The sales drop. So it sold 11,000 copies first week. Uh, the album before that, Imaginary Enemy, did 17K. I thought 11K is pretty solid for this album. For an unlistenable album, so, you know? Sure. To be fair... They dropped over and over again and announced the album and put up pre-orders 
way yeah. before they ever dropped the second single. The second single again, was like again, shout, super shouts to Hope, right. shouts to Mallory for just working with what she had to oh. get. Oh, to get some units. I feel moved. for you. You know as, what I mean? As a they, fellow they, publicist, I feel yeah, for like it. they did. You know, they they moved some units despite it's it's like the greatest trick ever pulled. You know what I mean? Imagine fans who got this album. You know, if if fans could have heard the album before they bought it, this would have done like two thousand first week. Okay. <laughs> On to number three, sleeping with sirens, gossip. Um. Why don't you take this one away, T-Sharp? I couldn't believe it. And if you listen to the... <laughs> I I just... I wasn't able to comprehend how bad this gonna, album was. I'm going to cut in real quick, Tyler. Tyler was so mad about this album <laughs> that he was mad at me that I gave it a score. I think I gave it a 4 out of 10. And that wasn't low enough for Tyler. He was he was so... He was like, how... how he was... He was mad at me for giving it a four out of ten. I think I I think I gave it a two, and I was genuinely <laughs> pissed at you for giving it a four. This <laughs> album has no redeemable traits, and I could make an argument that it is the worst album of the 2010s, but it has some fierce competitors thanks to 2017. It makes me mad that we did an entire episode about them signing to Warner Brothers revealing the gossip aesthetic for this entire cycle, thinking that they could be the next MCR in their own vision. Because the first five seconds of Legends just shows how this was going to burn so hard straight into the ground. There was no fucking reason that this should ever been okay. I don't understand how scene bands signed to major labels And then major labels, it's like they just don't do any homework and have no idea what the band's demographic is and what makes this band special. It's like when they got to Warner Brothers, Warner just automatically stripped them of their entire past and the band had no objection to it. I mean, obviously, all of these bands just want to be superstars anyways, but there's there's something to your core demographic that... There's I mean, I think there. I, I think you're giving the band a, a little too much credit there, taking away the agency they had in this album. Like, I think, you know, I think they wanted to make this album and, and they made a shitty album. You know, I don't think Warner, God, this I... is all Warner's fault. Um, you know, I think we've seen the band sort of lose it over the last few years as songwriters. You know, they're not the musicians they once were. And I got to say, this album, it, it might not be number one, but I think it's the biggest overall failure of the year when you think about the potential here you know sleeping pivoting off of epitaph and signing to warner brothers and really having a shot like you said to be the next mcr to be the next blow-up band and then to just come out and release a bad album that is executed so poorly it's just the fail the failure could not have been more complete and it turns out to be a major label flop. It only and it only sells twelve thousand copies first week. You know, which you can bet your ass that's going to get them dropped from Warner Brothers. Um, and that's down from what thirty five thousand copies for uh, Madness. Yep. And that was on an indie label. You know what I mean? This is on a Warner Brothers distribution major label Olympic theme song. You know, and um, that's why to me it was just it. It's like the biggest failure. You know, it's just such a 
it's I'm not as um this album was like an easier listen to me than some of the other ones and I, I it, to me it's just because it's such a light listen it's kind of jokey to me whereas like going through that used album was just like fucking crawling through the mud this is just <laughs> I can kind of just breeze through this one it doesn't it doesn't make me angry and like you know I like legends and um which you should be burned at the stake for I like legends I back it and musically there's just like there's a couple of redeeming moments on this album for me. Like Closer is kind of an interesting move into like an alt country sound. One Man Army is kind of like late period Lincoln Park. There's just a couple of moments wow. I can appreciate. But wow. like the rest of the album is just um, a lot of it to me is it's Kellen's voice is the problem. He doesn't belong on this type of radio rock album. When you hear him on something like Empire to Ashes, which is just a three days grace rip, or you hear him on Cheers, Kellen, he just, this, this, what, you know, cock rock and Kellen's Douchebag, voice. cock rock, imagine dragons rip. That's it, it what doesn't they tried to mi- do. It doesn't mix with Kellen's voice. He doesn't have the voice for it. So you think if someone else sang on this album, it could redeem it? I think these songs are inherently bad. I think it's a cock rock album. I think it's just insert cock rock singer here. But, but you instead think you, have an, you have an emo boy on it. But you think structurally think it, these it, songs are redeemable? Um, Some of them. Oh, dude, no, there is nothing redeemed. Yeah. Like, scrap it all. Everything the, 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 back the, to the drawing board. For me, the bad part of this album is a style of music mixed with a vocalist that just should never be mixed in a million years. It's just ugliness. It's like mixing, it's like wearing orange and green together. Like, what the hell are you doing? I totally agree that Kellen does not belong in this world, but. I think these songs, they tried a formula that really hasn't necessarily been done yet, and it just crashed and burned harder than anything that we heard in 2017 as far as like a major label yeah. uh, venture. But real quick, let me I'm, I'm going to read you off a list here. Two assistant engineers worked on this album. Alex Howard, which is a guest on the album, worked on backing vocals, harmonies, and keys. They had another songwriter work on the album. They had another keyboardist that also worked on programming. They had two additional programmers. They had an additional engineer. They had a master. They had a mixer. They had a mix engineer who also did programming and was a recording engineer. And then they had a producer and another mixer. There were 12 additional people besides the band who worked on this pile of shit. What yeah. the? How does it go through that many channels, then get to Warner Brothers' desks, and everyone just says green light? Let's fucking roll. Or more importantly, why the fuck did you have that many people involved in the first place? Like, make a fucking record, guys. You know, I, I don't just, understand. I, I just saw Sleeping trying to make a cock rock record, and it just it it doesn't work. I don't they understand. Don't fit. They don't fit in that lane. I don't know how this happened, and <laughs> it did though. It's a and, two. Uh, like I, it's like a I two said, out of it, ten, Matt. Like I, <laughs> we come back. I'm <laughs> you still. Gotta go I still stand throat. by my four. You gotta you go stand for by the your throat. two. It really is though the biggest failure. I think. Um, you just. I'm. I'm almost more disappointed in the, the failure aspect than the music, just because. It's just so of sad the potential. Yep. Like you just you blew the biggest shot ever. You signed to My Chemical Romance's label. You were supposed to carry the emo torch, guys, and you didn't. You did. Cheers. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, let's cheers the That douchey video. Right? Somewhere, All right. somewhere, Jesse Lawson is laughing, is still laughing his ass off since this album has been released. He's, he What's was he doing? There. 
he was their main songwriter back when they were a good post-hardcore band he was kind of their yeah core. what's he doing like solo country shit now he like covered drake not too long ago like hotline bling i don't know what the hell that dude's doing man he's just kind of living life i think so props to him he got out when it was good he was sick of the kellen show <laughs> i think we're all sick of the kellen show well yeah and kellen has now he now has a publishing deal through warner where he's gonna be a songwriter so as this band crashes you'll probably just see Kellen start writing songs for pop stars and He's, stuff like that. I think yeah. that's kind of Kellen's, He's that's Kellen's good. escape pod here. It didn't, yeah. Oh, yeah. It he didn't matter it. to him if this album flopped or not, man. He's got, he's, he's focusing on his backup plan. Now it's time for Nick Martin to focus on drugs. I'd like to have yeah. that flop, conversation flop, in 20. Flop of the year, probably, right? Yeah. I can't, I can't think of a, a bigger flop. Sure. Um, let's go on to number two. This is the second worst seen album of the year. <laughs> All time low, Last Young Renegades. So do you remember, Tyler, when I was a starry-eyed, naive young boy, <laughs> and I had first heard Dirty Laundry, and I was fucking hype, man. Like, I, you know, I love that song. I loved it. I'm not alone either. Like, All Time Low fans love that song. I see you all out there singing all the words to it except uh, that song uh, didn't work as a single, didn't go to radio, and um, and then everything else we got after that was a succession of worse and worse and bad and badder. <laughs> and, 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 oh, my God, you know, like the cheesy title track just fucking opening it? Like, oh, my God, what's going on there? You got, like, wannabe Springsteen 1975 ripoff walk the moon swirling mess of sad indie rock. And um, this this was a tough one to revisit. I got to be honest. This is hard to listen to all the way through. This is a I very to tough to listen. Today. <laughs> I had to listen this on my Spotify. Like, I had to play this. It, it's rough, man. It and... shouldn't be that hard to listen to a fucking all-time low album, but they figured a way out. How, how do you make... Like, this should be the easiest, breeziest band to listen to. You know what I mean? It should be a light, easy listen. And somehow... It was just, I was just like, how do I get through this? I feel like I'm in a swamp. I will straight up admit that I was trying to convince myself that the Paris singles were good. I, I said right off the bat that this album, as soon as we heard Dirty Work or Dirty Laundry, I all, I'm still doing it. I did it on that episode like five times. I called it Dirty Work. <laughs> I couldn't be more disappointed in Blake Harnage. You ruined the Paris album and you did nothing to help this all-time low album. I say that because there are at least six or seven different producers on this album that helped write these songs, and like we beat to death when this album came out and we talked about it. This was all-time low's second chance. Dirty Work was a failure, and it was their first chance to become the pop stars that they've always that wanted. That was their major label debut for uh, Interscope Records. And it was a big deal for the band at the time. They fucking blew it. And if you compare that album to this album, it makes that album look incredible because this is yeah, dirty so work. fucking bad. <laughs> dirty Work's fun. Like there, There's a pulse to Dirty Work, sure. at least. With the exception um, of I Feel Like Dancing. Thanks, Rivers yeah, Cuomo. Um, but... You know, I got to be honest. I think I'll take that. I'll 
take that song over pretty much anything on this fucking record. It's close. It's close. But this was their second chance. And if you talk to this band behind closed doors, all they want to be is pop stars. Just like you can trust Matt and I on this. We've seen this band in conference rooms. We've seen them band this band backstage. We've seen how they act as people. They want to be the biggest band in the world and they want to leave the scene behind. And they tried to do it on this album and failed epically. And not in like a Paris leave the scene behind, go pitchfork indie rock no. way. They just want to be stars. They yes. just want to be famous. They don't care how they do it. These guys are, you know, they hired an agent. Like they're just ready to take that that next step. But for me, like the 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 just the tragedy of this album was was the the fact that there was such promise to it. You know, like all time low were coming off a lot of success with mm-hmm. Future Hearts. Mm-hmm. They signed a Fueled by Ramen, which you know that is the label that brought us. Fallout Boy. It brought us Paramore. You know, brought us Panic. The the label that brought us all the biggest of scene the, breakouts, the biggest classic scene bands, and All Time Low have kind of always been in this weird middle space, right? Where like they're not quite as big as a Paramore or a Fallout Boy. They're below that level, but they're bigger than a scene band. You know what I mean? They're bigger than. Than uh, than you know like uh, like uh, sleeping with sirens you know they're they're just they're in that middle layer between so them signing to feel by ramen seemed like their chance for all time low finally to make that jump up and become a bigger more mainstream pop band and we didn't get that you know and and the promise to me like hearing dirty laundry the thing about it is it's just a simple pop song that's all it is. That's why so many people know the lyrics. That all they really had to do was make simple pop songs, but instead, we you know get into this whole mix of of this just sad rock crap and these chain smoker moments and like wannabe the song good the song good times brings you down. Like when you listen <laughs> to good times, it makes you fucking sad. That you that, like what what was the point? I don't understand how any of this happened because. There was promise here. Like you said, they joined Fueled by Ramen. We found out Blake Harnage was going to be working on the album with them. There we was, were thinking the proposition, Dark Pop Kings. Yeah, there was the proposition that Alex could be this kind of dark pop star. That was really exciting. You know, like, and the band were going to be there still, but, like, they could, you know, do a new thing. Because the all-time low thing, let's face it, they had been doing it a long time. How long can you really do immature pop punk when you get into your mid to late 30s, you know? Yeah, not everyone can be Blink-182. So, right. you know, when you broke down Dirty Laundry on that episode, it didn't change how I felt about the song, but it changed how I looked at the album moving forward because I thought we were going to get more dark pop. And the way you broke down Alex's image in the music video made me think, okay, this is what they're doing. They're going full force into making Alex the focus of the entire band, turning him into the next Chainsmokers bro. And instead, we got these bad pop rock songs that were semi-full band. It was Drugs and Candy is, is just the most terrible thing this band has ever done. And the Tegan and Sarah feature, like, why? Mm. Where, what? Where? Did... And if you're gonna get Tegan and Sarah, why miss so hard? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do something cool. Like, like, and then you get like, you get a nice to know you with that embarrassingly upbeat chorus that doesn't fit on the song. It's just like, ah, it makes you want to pull your hair out. There's a moment that that song, if you 
dissect it and take it apart and you maybe put that chorus in a completely different song, it could work. You know, it could be a good pop punk song. That if you if you if you literally surgically personal. carve out that right. chorus and right. you leave nothing left behind of that chorus, there's something there. But it, that's the thing. It's that switch. You think you're going somewhere and they hop into that chorus. And you're like, what are you doing, Alex? Where, Where are you did taking this us? come from? None of this right. made sense. <laughs> we were, this we were was sad. a mistake, man. This is supposed to be a sad song. I good know. times is supposed to be the happy song. What are you doing? Like, what? Get your shit together. You know, and it's the thing is like. You know, what I liked about Dirty Laundry was that it actually explored an interesting theme about relationships and Mm -hmm. the past and how letting go of someone's past can be a hard thing to do. You know, when you're with your significant other, oh, I know of all this terrible stuff you did maybe, like, you know, I'm mad that you hooked up with so-and-so. You know, these sort of things, that song was about that, you know, getting over that, letting, letting go of that and seeing someone for how beautiful they are now and not letting their past define them. But instead, it's like the rest of the album. It's like, oh, poor Alex. He's sad that he's the life of the party, you know, for that song. Like, that's what Fuck we off, have to dude. relate to him. You know, what I mean? like, poor you. Oh, my God, you're famous. And it sucks that everyone expects you to be the life of the party. Like, you know, like, how do we relate to that? Like, there were no real interesting emo themes explored on this album and uh, and that pisses us off so much because we know <laughs> these these four bros want to be the life of the party more than anything you know they want to be these pop stars they want to be these people that everyone look to when they do something and this was their second shot and they fucking blew it as much as i right. don't like these people as people I wanted them to succeed. I want these scene we, bands to succeed. We genuinely do, but they fucking we, blew it. We all wanted them to succeed. You you can go back and listen to me fucking cheerleading. Like, I am the full cheerleading team when Dirty Laundry drop. And you can even hear Tyler Sharp, despite hating Dirty Laundry, <laughs> still wanting this band to succeed. And you can hear us episode by episode just slowly <laughs> wither down into... Fuck this band, man. You know what I mean? It just got to that point. All right. Number one, Tyler. The worst scene album of the year. Suicide Silence, self-titled. Um, I don't think I have the energy for this one, man. <laughs> not not, not just the worst album of the year, but like I'd say the worst event of the year. Like this, to me, this self-titled, this wasn't just an album as much as it was a problematic event. You know, it wasn't a piece of music. It was a thing that happened. You know, it was like it was a comet that hit the scene. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen happen in the scene as far as a musical release goes. Like, can you think of another thing that created this much shockwave as far as how bad the music was? I Um, I, like nothing really comes to mind. This might be the worst case of fanverse artist I've ever seen. Like when a band pivots their sound and it comes out this bad. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that. And as, you know, as we look back on this episode and at the end of the year and we've had like, what, eight months to digest this album, 10 months, whatever. We got as we got towards the end of the year, people just weren't talking about the albums anymore. They just weren't. We knew that they were bad, but 
people were indifferent and they weren't moving on. And I think that's the one saving grace about this album is that it was so bad, it forced people to talk about it. And that's the only thing I will say that I like <laughs> about this, th- this, this event that took place. People were active because they were genuinely offended at how bad this music was. My thing is, their whole excuse was that they didn't want to do a quote bargain bin deathcore album anymore. That's fine. When you say your album is going to be 90% clean vocals, make it 90% clean vocals that are actually coherent and actually musically inclined. This album is genuinely bad music. Bad this is, music. This is I where agree. we get into that line of, so, oh, well, art is subjective. Sure. But I think as we've talked about on this podcast before, there is a line between genuinely good and genuinely bad music, regardless of preference. And this album falls in that bad category. So I have an interesting relationship with this album and this band because, you know, I was a big Suicide Silence fan when I was younger. You know, like I rode for the cleansing and I fucking loved Mitch. Fucking God bless the dead. Mm -hmm. Love you, Mitch. I mean, the dude just killed it at every performance. He killed it. Um, as years went by, I kind of grew out of this band. Like I just, I, I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I was still a fan of them, you know, like I, I was all down for the comeback, you know, and you can't stop me, but I just wasn't so like emotionally invested in them as a band. So when this, this happened, like I hate this album, but I, I, I kind of love that it happened at the same time, because I think back to that first day when Doris dropped there will just never be another day like that. And, you know, at, at the time, I I was kind of backing the band because, well, first off, I heard I hadn't heard the full record yet. <laughs> and I loved the fact that they had contempt for their audience. I loved that the band, mm-hmm. they weren't afraid to go tell their fans to go fuck themselves. And I loved that because I think musicians should do that more. When you have a vision, you should just do it and tell your fans to go fuck themselves. I loved that. But the thing was, the music kept getting worse as it came out. And, um, you know, they made a move also. You know, not only did I back what they were doing on an artist level, they made a move career-wise that I I backed in theory. Like, I transitioning away from Deathcore to me was the right move for this band because you know sure. metal metalcore is over and, and deathcore is a thing of the past at this point now you know if metalcore is going down deathcore is going down faster and you know suicide silence yeah you know they're the flagship band of deathcore but it was the right time for them to make a move away from deathcore they just did it wrong and instead of them doing it correctly we get the chorus in silence <laughs> <laughs> which is just one of the worst things I've ever heard. So, you know, it, it was interesting. I was backing the band artistically. I'm like, yeah, tell your fans to go fuck themselves. And I was backing their sort of career choice. Okay, good. Move away from Deathcore. But they just executed terribly and they made terrible music. And and that's kind of where I found myself. But looking back, it's like, it was just kind of fun to watch. You know, like I really enjoyed talking about it with you on this podcast. And I really enjoyed just the scene, the togetherness of it the eventness of it, just sort of the feeling that we were all going through it together. I, I really enjoy those moments. Kind of like we just had with the makeout song, the secret song that came out, you know, where everybody hated it, but at least we were all together hating something. At least the scene was existing in some way. 
Right. It made it feel like the scene was still alive. Like there was a pulse here, you know? We just had to melt one of our favorite bands down for it to happen. (laughs) Right, right. I guess that's what it comes down to. And um, yeah, it sucks, but I'm glad that there was a moment in 2017 where the scene was alive and people were talking about something and even casual suicide silence fans who didn't even listen to the band don't care just know the name from seeing it on ap or whatever were in revolt against this song and i i love that the fact that the scene can still mobilize in some way they were in headlines i mean daily daily they were the headline band they were making headlines for everything you know just doubling down and it got to the point where like I was supporting them being like, fuck their fans, but it got to the point where it went too far. Then they were just antagonizing their fans. Remember mm-hmm. they had that, that weird, just fucking meltdown on stage where they smashed all their instruments. Yep. And it was like, they were like little crybabies. And I had never seen a band go from being the heroes that they were, you know, coming off Mitch's you passing can't stop and me. making, you can't stop me to becoming just pure villains. They were villain. And I, and part of me loved that a little too. I'm like, I, I like the villains, but it just, sure. it went too far and the music was too bad. And, you know, this album sold, uh, 4,650 copies first week, which is a crazy 69% drop. From the first week sales of You Can't Stop Me, which did 15,000, which was their highest ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this Definitely is ex- the worst. This is ex- it's exhausting to talk about yeah. because there was so much that went into this. It was a train wreck that the entire scene couldn't look away from. And like I said, in a way, I love that because it mobilized the scene. It gave the scene mm-hmm. something to care about, regardless of if they hated or loved but it. It gave us something to care about. And for that, that where I guess I say thank you, Suicide Silence. Is that where we are now with uh, the scene that if we're going to have a good scene moment, we have to chop the head off of one of our favorite bands? I mean, do we have do we, do we have to sacrifice one to, to get the other <laughs> do something is that where we're at i don't know i love um i loved the april fool's metal sucks article that they ran the headline was suicide silence issue apology for latest oh my gosh we know we fucked up i believed it for like 20 seconds even though it was april fools because it just seemed like something that that. needed to happen yeah right we know we fucked up it was like we everyone was waiting for that apology Oh, man. I remember the yeah, first time right. I read that, and I literally breathed a sigh of relief. Like, okay, right, okay, like, this nightmare is over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but but uh, nope. it didn't happen. Nope. And um, now the band are, I don't I don't even know what they're like. They're going no, back. You want to know, you wanna know what they you did? Know? They did a 10-year tour for the cleansing yeah. this fall. Uh, yeah. Like, fuck They're just them. not going to. They're not going to admit they made a mistake and just go back to the old stuff. Okay, Ty, before we go, let's just end this on a positive note. Any surprises this year for you? Um, just what was a surprising, a band who surprised you? You didn't expect that they put out a good record. Sure. While She Sleeps came out of fucking okay, nowhere for me, man. I This band has never done anything special. They've been that... shitty Razor and Tie metalcore band that never mattered. But they and then... left the label. They crowdfunded a new album. They obviously took some songwriting classes and they wrote one of the best metalcore albums of the year. I am very excited for this band and Definitely. I love that and album. Definitely. And just crush it with the Ollie feature on the lead it's gonna single be a classic. and it's huge. Yeah, definitely. Uh for me, uh Seaway. 
I think they nice. probably made the best pop punk album of the year I when think, I think about it. I agree. It. Um, I agree. That was fun. Falling Universe also for both of us, I think. That was Hanging just a on, surprise. Man. Hanging on. With, <laughs> Hanging on. Sacrifice <laughs> me at your altar, like land to the slaughter, slip my throat without honor. Like we really like that one. Um, another one I think we both are pretty hyped on is nothing nowhere crazy because we talked about that him on the show when we were talking about Lil Peep and how nothing nowhere was the only scene artist and he wasn't doing it right well he dropped a full length and he started doing it right and it's very exciting to watch it is it is the New York Times number one album of the year New York Times in print you can read it the number one album of the year nothing nowhere scenes Lil Peep um I gotta say, uh, just for the homies, I didn't like this album, but I gotta say the main. Like, congrats just for all you homies who like the main. It seemed like everybody who liked the main had a really good main year. Like, everybody was about that main album, and I didn't like it personally, but I'm just giving you guys your shouts. Like, good on you. Good for you. Um, any any other surprises for you, Tyler? Um, I will say, personally, Amur, big surprise. It's been Sharp Tone still, their only success, because... Uh, Emir increased like maybe a thousand or two thousand first week in first week sales, and they wrote an album that their core fan base would like, and it fucking rips. It's just d- dastardly heavy, and I love it. It's so pissed off. <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you so much for spending Christmas with us. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Whatever the hell you celebrate, we are all about it. Thanks mm-hmm. for spending your time with us. We hope maybe like we were able to give you an excuse to get away from your crazy freaking family and you know listen to some good scene music talk if you like this show please take the time to rate and review us on itunes give us those five stars and we will love you if you have any questions send them to notescene at gmail.com otherwise we will see you next week happy holidays everyone